Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. Joining us are Dr. Steve Kammerer and John Daniels. Steve is the Southeast Region Director of the USGA Green Section, and John covers the Central Region for the USGA Green Section. Both of their respective regions have had to deal with a number of storms over the last few years, including Hurricanes Harvey and Irma last year, and most recently, Hurricane Florence this year. We thought that Steve and John would be excellent to bring onto the podcast to discuss storm preparation and recovery. Both of them deal with a lot of superintendents who have had to make some tough decisions following storms. So we know that you're going to learn from the insight that Steve and John are able to provide from their travels and their work. And we're glad that they were able to take some time out of their busy schedules to join us. Well, Steve and John, it's great that you're able to join the the podcast. I know you both have busy weeks traveling to USGA championships. Uh, the first thing here, John, what, what are some differences in recovering between a storm that you knew was coming, like Florence, compared to a storm that maybe you don't know is coming, like some of the flash floods that you, you see in your region, the central region? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot you can do with even just maybe a one- to two-day notice, um, especially if you have some type of uh, historical perspective with the given course, understanding which areas of the course are prone to flooding, which uh, areas uh, will have some type of debris or damage, um, trying to move any kind of uh, equipment, um, whether it be uh, mowing equipment uh, uh, or something associated with some kind of facility, storage area, um, to something like an irrigation satellite box um, that might incur some type of damage. So if you have some degree of warning, um, even, even a 24-hour notice, uh, a superintendent can can maybe make some decisions um, that will help to uh, lessen expenses with, you know, getting the golf course back and open. Steve, you're in the Carolinas right now. What's the situation like with Florence? What have you heard, and what are some things to watch out for now as the storm moves north and he- heads outside of the southeast? Well, I'm in the area of the country that they are not strangers to tropical storms, hurricanes, and flooding. Of course, the closer the coast you are, the more experienced they are. The thing that I've heard right now, which is causing issues, is that even though the storm, hurricane, tropical depression is is sort of past, and the rains are are starting to slow down, um, the rivers have not crested yet. And so the floodwaters are the primary concern that they're expecting the waters to go even higher. The other issue that I've heard that is a problem, it's, it's from people I know in the Myrtle Beach area, uh, as well as on the news, is that some of the major corridors are underwater, which means if they could not get out or they're trying to get any type of materials in, cannot have any type of, of transport of supplies and such, uh, because the roads are underwater. John, what type of courses are most susceptible to damage from a heavy storm or a flash flood? Do some of the ones that maybe you saw last year with Harvey and some of the other storms you've dealt with in your career share maybe some of the same characteristics with their topography or infrastructure? Well, any anytime you've got um, some type of large uh, body of water, whether it be a, a creek, river, lake um, that's adjacent to a golf course, uh, you're probably going to be at some degree 
uh, risk of flooding. And uh, sometimes, like Steve said, the uh, storm um, rainfall will pass, and it might be a delay of one to two days before that water really starts to swell up in some of those water bodies. And it uh, is whether it's a controlled release or just starts overflowing some of the banks. So sometimes you have to be a little bit patient uh, to really kind of understand how bad uh, the, the area is. But, you know, anytime you've got something with a uh, uh, water body nearby or you've got low-lying areas, um, especially uh, soil conditions that don't drain uh, readily, um, very tightly packed uh, soils, um, it only takes a little bit of water before it starts to pool at the top of the surface. So uh, any, any courses that have those characteristics, which by and large you can find throughout the country, um, it just becomes a matter of how much rainfall they're, they're going to get. And when you're in certain areas of the country that are prone to these heavy rainfall events, uh, you're, you're no stranger to flooding, and uh, you need to have some type of uh, flood mitigation plan in place some, some basic uh, components, some practices, so when that time does come, uh, you're not having to try to figure out all the different problems and solve them all at once because uh, you've done some of your homework ahead of time. You know, Steve, this is the third straight year a hurricane has hit the southeast United mm-hmm. States. What are some things that can be done before the storm to help a golf course after the storm? Have you seen some characteristics between the courses that have made it through uh, Matthew and Irma okay with maybe the ones that could potentially make it through a future storm okay? Yeah, I mean, I know courses that got hit pretty hard from um, from Irma, uh, even though it didn't really come on shore, there was storm surge, which is a bit different, quite a bit different than, you know, just hurricane-type winds. Um, the ones that really have gone through this before, the first obvious um thing that they've uh, addressed either through um, effects from the storm or concern after the storm is is tree removal. Many golf courses have trees, um, some healthier than others, some in better positions than others. But when you look at trees in, in areas that it could, you know, fall where you don't want it, like on a maintenance facility or on a clubhouse, uh, these are obvious areas that once they get hit, they tend to get more support from the members about removing trees that may be, um, I'm not saying uh, desirable trees, but trees that that are sentimental to some of the members. The second thing would be, uh, I know courses that were hit pretty hard from the standpoint of they lost the the, the ability to irrigate. Um, Control boxes went underwater. Um, I know one golf course that had a very expensive pump that was used to pump water when they got uh, slow-rising water. The problem with Irma was the water came in so fast, the pump couldn't keep up, and it went underwater. Um, So that's probably another thing that they've been more um, attuned to following past storms is to to basically get their control box and electrical equipment to higher ground so that if the power does go out, they can bring the electrical equipment back in afterwards and not have to rely on, you know, suppliers to supply something when there's a high demand. John, what are some other supplies that should maybe be collected on site if you do have that advanced warning? So a lot of um, 
times you're going to have a lot of debris, you know, whether it's uh, large debris, uh, trees that are completely uprooted, or, or just a very fine amount of debris, you know, um, particles of silt and clay uh, that, that coat the surface. So to speed that recovery, um, it's a lot of cutting up uh, large limbs, branches, so you've got to rely on chainsaws, uh, equipment to uh, haul that material um, off, uh, wood chippers, um, that sort of thing, large uh, um, tractors with front-end loaders or, or a skid steer uh, to, to move material, a lot of blowers, because uh, as you break up the, the material, uh, trying to get it off the turf surface, uh, whether it's backpack blowers or, or uh, a larger unit that you would work with a utility cart. Um, besides the uh, number of, you know, equipment, small tools, power tools, personnel is probably one of the, the greatest uh, inputs that is in demand following a storm event because, you know, golf courses are a important part of the community. So if the golf course is prone to flooding, uh, you know, one, especially a large event, widespread, going to have... Other issues. Oh wow, this is this is awesome. I hope you guys got a good outtake reel. I had something I was going to add. Um, I was at a, a golf course just this past week, and they they're at the base of the Ozarks, okay, and and they've been hit with flooding uh, the last two years. Two years ago, it was rather severe. They got a lot of rock and gravel, lost bridges. Uh, this past year was a little milder, but. As John mentioned, being in areas where water moves through, uh, especially the water doesn't drain real well like mountains, they this year have gotten approval that they're bringing an architect in to basically to, to retool um, two of the holes so that the water is, is going around the holes versus across the fairways. So that's more of a longer-term type approach that... Um, they know they may flood, and it may be every 30 years, every 10, or maybe in the case of this course where they flooded two of the last, you know, three years to basically look at um, an assessment to address chronic flooded areas. Yeah, Steve, you bring up a great point. Have you seen it the last few years, years with the storms in your regions where the, the weather event has forced some courses to take a look at their long-range plan and have weather events expedited uh, renovations at any of the courses in your region? So I got called into a golf course after Hurricane Matthew, and one of the major problems is, is okay, the, the golf course may have weathered the storm, the water may have receded, but they don't have power. And this is a case on a coastal golf course that got saltwater intrusion, and with no power, um, yes, the water receded, but they had saltwater issues. And without power, they could not run the irrigation system to flush the salts out. And not always, but quite often after these hurricanes or tropical storms that are so big, when they pass, they, they almost suck all of the moisture and all the weather around it out of the area that in this, this Florida case, they didn't have rainfall for three days or three weeks afterwards. And the golf course fairways basically cooked in salt. They were faced with either going through and trying to spot repair these areas with Bermuda grass, but instead they took a longer-term approach that they basically did a, a full renovation of the golf course 
to a more highly salt-tolerant turf grass like seashore paspalum. And really, the rest of the story is they did this with Matthew. It took them almost a year, and one week prior to their opening, they got hit with Irma. And they got hit with Irma, but not to the same severity, but they still got salt water that came out of the golf course. And even though some of the turf grass was not totally established, they were able to hit their reopening with only a one-week delay. John or Steve, you guys work with some outstanding superintendents, and you work with a, a lot of golf course superintendents. What are some characteristics that superintendents that are able to pull their teams through a storm share? What are some personality traits and work habits that they share that, that help them after the storm? Well, I think uh, superintendents, uh, as a rule, are some of the most uh, creative uh, individuals. They're they're oftentimes the uh, individual best equipped to handle any kind of adversity at a golf facility. So whether it's a day to day management adjustment um, from from uh, you know more of a typical weather system or something that's a little bit more catastrophic in nature, such as widespread flooding, they're very uh, well equipped to uh, the problem solving, prioritizing and communicating that message to their crew members and uh, just getting after it. And, and that's what you see happens more times than not. Sometimes that eagerness, uh, if, if uh, not uh, tempered a little bit, um, can cause a little bit uh, added damage. Um, you know, you have to make sure that that water not only recedes, but the uh, areas are um, firm enough to, to support the cleanup activities, you know, whether it's equipment driving over the turf, um, so or, or just you know people walking across greens. Uh, if if they're completely waterlogged, sometimes you can cause a little bit more damage in that cleanup uh, if you are a little bit more patient. But overall, I think you know most of the golf courses that I've had the opportunity to work with, um, I'm always amazed uh, how how quickly the course is able to go from uh, you know, underwater, uh, damaged to reopening again. And I, I think just it's something that uh, superintendents maybe don't get enough credit for on the day-to-day. But, uh, you know, when something like this happens, uh, such as, uh, you know, Florence, you, you start to see those those qualities really kind of shine. And, and not only on the golf course, but some of the other, uh, you know, parts of the golf facility, whether it's the clubhouse, um, some kind of other uh, amenity area pools. Superintendents are often pulled into that uh, cleanup and, and you know rebuilding process because of those those qualities that they have. I would go a little bit into more of the people aspect. Most of the superintendents and, that I have worked with, they they're in this position role because they have strong leadership skills, and this is where the leadership skills really provide extra benefit from the standpoint of, of, of management, management of many different aspects of recovery, but one of the more important ones that I want to build on is, is, is managing their, their maintenance staff. In quite a few cases, and it's probably going to be the case in the Carolinas, is the, the maintenance staff has probably been impacted um, from the standpoint of their homes that may have been flooded. I worked with a golf course with a superintendent. His house went almost four or five feet underwater. It's difficult to get your crew to come in to help recover the golf course when they've lost most of their possessions. Um, 
this one golf course that I worked with actually worked with, it was a resort, and worked a deal with the resort that, okay, they were without power for about three weeks, but allowing the maintenance facility, the maintenance people, staff, to bring their families in to have a place to stay while they're working on efforts split between the golf course and getting their their house and their belongings back up. Steve, what about day-to-day maintenance practices uh, such as mowing and bunker work and those type of things? When does that decision made to go back to regular maintenance, that's a tough decision when mowers can get on turf or not. What are some guidelines for those type of things? Well, it's like anything. They have to prioritize what is the most critical. And with most golf courses, the most critical area that they are looking to address are the greens, the most valuable. And usually with greens, um, they tend to be the most highly elevated. Um, But if if the greens go underwater, uh, the first thing they're going to do, they're going to try to do is get the silt and debris off the green. Um, Secondly, this is not intuitive to, to the general public, you know, when you go through a period where you're looking at 15 to maybe 30 inches of rainfall, people don't think that I've got to water the grass. But most putting greens, if they're USGA spec or a high sand content green, um, they're designed to drain. So one of the other top priorities is getting water on those greens once they get the debris off. Um, water on the greens to save the grass and also to flush any type of salt or pollutants that may have been deposited by the floodwaters. Um, with bunkers, there's a lot of variability in, in bunker construction as well as materials. Um, some of the more expensive bunkers have durable liners, which are designed to help drain. This may be a longer-term approach if they run into issues where they've lost their bunkers multiple years or also in season where um, bunker repair takes up a considerable amount of the maintenance or labor time, that they will go to either less bunkers, bunkers with a durable liner, or just a reduction in bunkers to even a, uh, a redesign of, of the, the face of the bunkers. So they're, you know, in the case of, of slope, they're not quite as steeply sloped that they're going to lose them with each heavy rainfall or storm. John, Hurricane Harvey happened 13 months ago. What type of lingering damage do you see from a major storm like that? Do you still notice that courses are having issues with Harvey 13 months later? Yes. Down in the Houston area, there's a number of courses that are still recovering from that uh, uh, Hurricane Harvey. Um, The amount of flooding that took place, uh, the duration of the flooding, the amount of debris uh, that was deposited – uh, there was a lot of work to be done. Um, what was most impressive was how quickly a number of the courses were able to reopen shortly after, whether it's a week to three weeks after the storm had passed, allowing golfers to to once again play the course. But there's a lot of long-term issues that can be associated with the uh, uh, soil layer, for example, within the root zone that can hinder uh, turf grass um, development, drainage. So uh, added cultivation practices are sometimes required uh, for that year to two years after to try to correct some of those issues that are 
associated with flooding. Saw a lot of courses um, take more days off, uh, closed days during this past summer to attack some of those issues in the Houston area. More aggressive aeration, verticutting, sand top dressing, uh, things that uh, can help stimulate turf grass growth and, and to break up that layer uh, that, that might be present within some of the areas of the um, root zone. So another area that uh, Steve kind of talked about a little bit was the bunker design. And uh, a lot of courses, after sustaining, or sustaining so much damage um, with regard to uh, bunkers, washouts, debris, having to come back in and, and essentially rebuild uh, a large percentage of their bunkers, they're, they're taking that opportunity to say, okay, how can we make these golf uh, bunkers more, uh, you know, easy to maintain over uh, the, our, our year? And, and that might be removing certain ones, adjusting the contours. Uh, so it presented an opportunity to, to improve the course design um, from, a, from a day-to-day maintenance aspect uh, and also um, help, you know, lessen that overall uh, renovation expense, less materials, improve the overall um, sustainability of the golf course. So I, I'm seeing more and more courses still address those long-term uh, issues. Maybe they had uh, plans to do some type of renovation, and the fact that uh, they just experienced such a widespread flooding that just kind of accelerated some of those plans. So something that might have been uh, three, five years out, um, is now being addressed right now, whether it's bunkers, irrigation system, overall drainage. Um, there's a lot of a lot of work being done to still correct the issues that were associated with Hurricane Harvey. And how about you, Steve, with some of the hurricanes you've seen the last few years, what are some of the, the lingering impacts? I'd say the lingering impacts are, I guess, in a little bit of a different direction. Um, I work the southeast, you get down to Florida, there's quite a few golf courses that are resort courses. And, and the same thing with uh, Myrtle Beach, that if the golf course has to close for a real lengthy renovation, it's, it's, there's a lot of energy that goes into making sure that people that don't live in the area um, know the golf course will return. Um, and usually the marketing is, is it's going to return and it's going to be better than it was before. So there's a lot of marketing and sales-type efforts to remind people that even though the damage was extensive, they don't want to be forgotten because, I mean, let's face it, there's, there's many wonderful golf courses that are concentrated along the coastal areas of this country, and they provide a significant number of jobs um, to the people live in those areas as well as an area for people that go to vacation. So that's one of the lingering effects is, as you know, the, the, the news and the media really focuses, tends to focus on all the damage um, without really giving as much due to the livelihood, what it means to the economy, and, and, and just the, the region itself. Last thing, John, where can our listeners and people in the golf industry go to learn more about recovering from storm damage. I know the USGA green section a few weeks ago, just posted some excellent resources, including an article that you and Steve co-authored Where are some go-to places in your mind for people that want to learn more about preparing and recovering from these events. Well, for, for golf course recovery, um, 
I think you can find some excellent resources on our uh, website uh, at uh, usga.org under the course care section. Additional resources, golf course industry, uh, golf dumb, the Michigan uh, turf grass information file um, houses a lot of excellent resources for uh, turf grass managers that are dealing with some type of flooding. Uh, another opportunity is to reach out to your local uh, extension um, specialist, whether you're in North Carolina, South Carolina, or Texas. Um, there's going to be a uh, individual there that uh, is is tasked with um, turf grass management uh, extension and could serve as another resource um, opportunity for uh, uh, solving these these issues. Well, thanks a lot, John and Steve, for joining us. I know you guys have busy weeks, and Steve's actually on on the road right now as we speak. So we we really appreciate you taking some time and good luck with the events you're working here coming up and we look forward to seeing both of you again soon and thanks for all you do for the golf industry glad to do it thanks and appreciate the call hope everyone's uh recovery goes well and and uh we get these things uh back open 